we as public lands advocates, we as, uh, as believers in democracy should make our voices heard within the confines of the law. But now more than ever, it's time to, to, to activate and continue to do what we're doing. Welcome to MCV Cast. That was Barrett Kaiser reflecting on his role as a disruptor in Eamon Bundy's 2016 armed standoff in rural Oregon. Welcome to a special bonus edition of MCV Cast. I'm Aaron Murphy here with the Executive Director of Montana Conservation Voters, Whitney Tani, Political Director Jake Brown, and Program Director Whitner Chase. We'll hear more from Barrett in a moment, but we'll begin this bonus episode with an overview of the good, the bad, and the ugly at the Montana Legislature. Jake and Whitner, join us from Helena as always. Guys, what's been keeping you busy? Whitney, recreational marijuana in Montana and how to spend its tax revenue was the big ticket item for us this week. We're talking about House Bill 701 from Republican Mike Hopkins of Missoula. Remember, voters overwhelmingly approved legalizing recreational cannabis last November. That initiative also directed about half of the tax revenue to fund public lands, mostly through Habitat Montana. But House Bill 701 has its own plans for marijuana tax revenue sending most of it to other state programs. State parks and trails would get a little, but Habitat Montana, which is used to increase access to public lands through easements, would get nothing. Uh, My name is Jake Brown, here today with the Montana Conservation Voters. So on behalf of MCV, I testified against House Bill 701 this week, along with a bunch of other opponents. We just don't think this proposal goes far enough to give voters what they asked for. And that is robust funding for public lands. No one here is disputing that you guys have the constitutional authority to appropriate. What we are here today is just asking the legislature with the power that you have to use your power to invest in our public lands and our special outdoor places. One of the reasons that Montana is is the last best place is because of our outdoors. And we believe that you guys should honor that and invest in those special places. MCV is still working with lawmakers to try and carve out more for public lands funding in House Bill 701. One of its more controversial provisions, it would require cities or counties to opt in to allow the sale of recreational cannabis. There are two other bills in the legislature aimed at implementing recreational marijuana, House Bills 670 and 707. Both of them are from Republicans, but neither of them stand much of a chance of moving forward. There were some fireworks this week in a hearing for Senate Bill 379 by Republican Steve Fitzpatrick of Great Falls. The legislation would saddle Northwestern Energy's ratepayers with the cost of operating and cleaning up the coal-fired power plants in Coal Strip, Montana. That's likely more than a billion dollars added to ratepayers' energy bills. The bill also diminishes the role of Montana's elected public service commissioners, who are supposed to protect consumers from unreasonable rates. This week, a whole bunch of opponents, Republicans and Democrats, spoke against Senate Bill 379, including current and former PSC commissioners and former Senate Minority Leader Steve Doherty. He compared this bill to the disastrous deregulation of the Montana Power Company, now Northwestern Energy, in 1997. This bill, I was going to have just a heck of a stem winder uh, to finish up my speech and refer to it as the offspring of Frankenstein. That would be slightly insulting to Frankenstein. Northwestern Energy says without this bill, it would have to shut down its coal strip plant. 
Senator Fitzpatrick was visibly irritated by the current PSC's opposition to his bill. He accused the commission, all Republicans, and its staff of having it out for coal strip. Now, I don't think it's any, any doubt here that the PSC uh, and its staff have been really treating coal strip worse than any other generating facility. Uh, and I think that's been reflected in how they've been treating it over the years. Speaking for the entire PSC, the current chairman of the commission, Jim Brown, fired back, calling the bill a request by the monopoly to tax its captive set of ratepayers. Good. I've been around this institution long enough to know that if the sponsor is going to attack the staff of an agency uh, as part of his advocacy for legislation, then perhaps the underlying bill is problematic. Uh, I take great umbrage and exception to the sponsor's attack of the PSC staff and their professionalism, and I take great umbrage that the assertion that uh, members of the PSC, such as myself, don't make reasoned, informed decisions. This week, the House Agriculture Committee also heard a troubling bill aimed at limiting the amount of agricultural land nonprofit organizations can purchase. House Bill 677 is sponsored by Dan Bartell of Lewistown. It says nonprofit corporations may not purchase agricultural land in parcels larger than 80 acres. It's designed to go after the American Prairie Reserve, a massive grassland conservation effort in north central and northeast Montana. Republicans are among the bill's many opponents who say the bill would violate constitutional property rights. Tuesday, April 6th, is 406 Day, Montana Day, and yes, we're making it about conservation. We're teaming up with several of our friends and partner organizations to host a rally for public lands. We want to send a message to fringe lawmakers in Montana who have yet to understand how public lands are part of our state's identity. You can join from your vehicle if you're in Helena on 406 Day, or you can join us virtually from anywhere in the world. Also joining us, famed mountaineer Conrad Anker, sportsman and MCV member Andrew Posowitz, and Rachel Schmidt, the former director of the Montana Office of Outdoor Recreation. Rachel was also a guest on Season 3, Episode 9 of this podcast. The 406 Day Rally for Public Lands kicks off at noon Mountain Time on April 6th. It'll last an hour. If you'd like to join us virtually, you can register at the link in our show notes. Lawmakers in Idaho were forced to suspend their legislative session because too many of them tested positive for COVID. Right-wing militant Eamon Bundy is still in Idaho, actively pushing for a law there to ban any mandatory vaccines. Remember, Bundy is the anti-public lands, anti-government activist arrested a couple weeks ago after refusing to wear a mask in court. Eamon Bundy became a household name five years ago during an armed standoff with the federal government. And this week's guest had a front row seat. Barrett Kaiser is a longtime Montana political consultant and strategist with Hilltop Public Solutions. In early 2016, while working for the Colorado-based Center for Western Priorities, a nonpartisan think tank, Barrett traveled to rural Harney County, Oregon. It was January 5th, three days after Eamon Bundy and his supporters commandeered the headquarters of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge in what became a 41-day armed occupation. This followed another armed standoff with the federal government in Nevada in 2014. The Bundys and their followers don't believe the feds have any authority over public lands that we all own. And during their regular press conference that chilly morning, 
the armed extremists gave their update to dozens of reporters, and then, with the cameras still rolling, Barrett got up on stage and took the mic. Let me offer an opposing point of view. My name's Barrett Kaiser. I work for a public lands advocacy organization out of Colorado. This isn't about loving your neighbor. This is about furthering a right-wing extremist agenda. The one thing that we've heard all week here is that, that they should just go home. No, they shouldn't just go home. They should go to jail. You shouldn't be allowed to exploit a ranching I, I family, catch your name, sir. hijack General, an entire sir, community. Let name. me express my rights. I Let me express my rights. How about you your shouldn't name? be able to steal a refuge. Can I have your name? Threaten violence all in a self-aggrandizing perversion of what you think the Constitution actually means. <laughs> Barrett Kaiser, welcome to MCV Cast. Thanks, Murph. Great to be here. This past January, after pro-Trump insurrectionists stormed the Capitol, you shared this video again. Seems like very little has changed politically in the five years since you showed up in that Bundy press conference in Oregon, and we'll get to that in a moment. First, bring us back to January 5th, 2016. What were you doing in Oregon to begin with, and what prompted you to throw a wrench into their news conference? Uh, well, Murph, it was that Monday morning after the Bundys had taken over the refuge, and I was on a call with my client at the time, Center for Western Priorities, and... CWP has done a tremendous amount of work studying and researching the connections between the anti-public land sentiment factions in the West, um, as well as extremist organizations, militia groups, white supremacists, and that nexus between the halls of the capitals and states across the country, whereby they are convincing mainstream lawmakers to pass legislation that really is not in the best interest of public lands owners, but rather in this extreme faction. So we were uh, on our conference call Monday morning. Uh, this had just transpired, obviously a very big deal. And my suggestion was to send somebody to Burns, bring the report that they had compiled, a really great intensive report, um, and hand that report out. You have every major news outlet in the world covering this. Uh, let's try to go and, and tell our side of the story. And that suggestion was met with somewhat nervous laughter at the time. Um, so I volunteered to go. And uh, I was on a plane that afternoon. Uh, two of my team members joined me, Caitlin Koppel and Joe Splinter. Uh, and we set up shop there in Burns. Uh, and it was somewhat unnerving, but I'm, I'm certainly glad that we went because it was really a sight to behold. I also want to paint the picture a bit for people who haven't seen the video. I know you won't take offense when I say you kind of blended in, Barrett, wearing a camel ball cap. You're an avid hunter and angler, so it's not like you were ironically dressing for the part. But after what you said, you weren't the most popular guy at the refuge. What happened next? Well, we were there for three nights, four days total. Um, and, and we had seen Eamon Bundy come out at 11 a.m. every day to give a, a news conference. And literally it was him telling a one-sided story. As you may know, White and Stephen Hammond are being forced to report to prison today. And so we spent our evenings and our afternoons and mornings when he wasn't at the mic, handing out this report, talking to reporters about this other side of the story, that this wasn't an isolated incident, that this is a movement, a vast movement that's been growing for years across the West. Um, but unfortunately, these reporters and producers, they didn't really give a shit because there were armed dudes with guns inside this refuge. Long story short, we were having a hard time getting traction. And so decided on the final night over dinner to make a plan to wait until uh, Eamon was done with his news conference. 
had watched him sort of turn on his heel and go right back into the refuge at every time and decided when those cameras were still hot that we would get up and make a statement. I asked Caitlin to, to get the car, keep it running. Um, and I, I said to Joe, you better get this on video. And so that was the result of that. So after you were done with what you said, uh, sounds like it was kind of a tense situation out there. Yeah. I mean, and the reason that, you know, I did it is because I was mad, just like all public landowners. We all sat and watched them essentially steal a refuge and hold this small community hostage. And it was just really an unfair situation. And so when I got up there, I, I knew that there were you know some pretty bad people around. And some of them were trying to intimidate me and trying to, you know, take my voice in the process. And in doing so, take the whole public lands community's voice. So when I got done, ordinarily I would have hung out and I would have taken all those reporters up on their requests for interviews. But these thugs were were pretty pushy, and um, so we got out of there, got in Caitlin's car, and she punched it. And I'll never forget the sight of looking out that back window and seeing a big. F-350 diesel just hauling ass, chasing us, big plumes of diesel smoke as he hit the accelerator. He chased us all the way off the refuge to a point where we were trying to figure out where we were going to head to the sheriff's office, what we were going to do. And thankfully, as soon as we left the the refuge line, uh, he turned around and went back uh, to the compound. But yeah, it was pretty scary, certainly. But I think that um, at the end of the day, CWP was the first NGO on the ground to push back against this. Others certainly followed and made our collective voices heard, which was a good thing. And you know, the other thing, as we were leaving the refuge, I was seeing a convoy of oathkeeper types. Um, you know, when we first got there, it was essentially the sort of the standard Bundy crowd, rancher types, etc. Um, but when you know, the guys in camo with assault rifles um, started to come. We knew that things had gotten very, very serious. So you said uh, that day that they belong in jail, but you didn't stop there. Let's listen to another clip from that day. What has exactly happened since the Bundys pulled this stunt last time at their ranch? Absolutely nothing. To add to that, they owe me and you and you and you a million dollars in taxpayer money. We all want a peaceful resolution to this. Of course we do. But they shouldn't just go home. They need to be charged and prosecuted For to what? the full extent of the law. For what? This cannot be allowed to happen in the United States of America. Thank you. And that eventually happened, sort of. We should note one of Bundy's followers, a Montana named Ryan Payne, helped Eamon Bundy plan the takeover and is still serving hard time for other charges. State police shot and killed another follower who reached for a gun in his pocket. But an Oregon jury acquitted Eamon Bundy and his brother Ryan. So what's your reaction to the justice or, or lack of it stemming from that whole ordeal? Oh, absolutely furious. I mean, just like everybody, just completely stunned. And I don't know if... Uh, the prosecutor's overcharged or or what. And I, I don't have a JD, so I don't know how that was supposed to go down. But it feels just incredibly unjust. You shouldn't be able to take over a refuge at gunpoint, um, traumatize an entire community, um, break the law to that degree, and not serve time. Over the past few years, the Bundys have been growing what they call the People's Rights Movement. That's their name for it, by the way. And they think of it as their own social media network. CNN recently ran a story about how the Bundys have used anger over pandemic restrictions of the past year to bring new followers into their tent. 
Here's a clip of how Eamon Bundy himself describes it from CNN. This network was built to communicate with people, one, to educate them, or at least to gather to be educated and also to activate, say, look, the governor doesn't have authority to do these things. Uh, we've never given him that authority. And so don't comply and let's let's get together. Let's have church. Let's uh, let's meet. Let's uh, let's exercise our rights in a way that we have a right to exercise them. Well, that led to Bundy's arrest for refusing to leave a courthouse in Idaho this summer. And just this month, another arrest for failing to appear in court. He showed up, but he refused to wear a mask as required. And the issue here, Barrett, is really about refusal to recognize authority. So how does that impact issues important to us and the conservation movement, like protecting access to public land? And what are we in for in the future? It was Michelle Obama who said, you know, they go low, we go high. I mean, clearly they're not going anywhere. They think they're right. Uh, However perverted their view of what the Constitution says is, it's time for us to double down. And, you know, we've seen these elements perking up across the country in other shapes and forms. It just means that, you know, look, this is the United States of America. You're entitled to your own opinion. You're just not entitled to threaten people's lives and deploy an armed takeover of a refuge, incite violence, whatever it is. And clearly, um, this movement has been percolating for quite some time. And that, you know, the Trump administration gave rise, gave voice to this kind of hatred and extremism in America. Um, but we as public lands advocates, we as, uh, as believers in democracy should make our voices heard within the confines of the law. But now more than ever, it's time to, to, to activate and continue to do what we're doing. Well, speaking of Trumpism, let's talk about January 6th, uh, the deadly terrorist insurrection of that day didn't come as a surprise to those of us who are following things like the Bundy's People Rights Movement. What was your reaction that day as you watched the events unfold, especially given your firsthand experience in Oregon? Any advice or insight? I don't know about advice, but I can tell you my reaction was um, physical, emotional, visceral. It took me right back to that same day. Seeing those the, the, the kind of people that are just so sort of blinded with rage and hatred and just fueled by alternative facts to 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 wage essentially an insurrection on the most hallowed place in government. You know, I mean, I spent 11 years working in the United States Senate and to see that happen and and understand why it happened was infuriating to me as it was to all of my friends, neighbors, uh, anybody who who has any sort of common sense about what's decent and right and fact based had to have been absolutely appalled by that. But that's the same element that's been brewing in America, and the Amen Bundys of the world and others uh, continue to fuel it. And you know, it was a really sad, sad day. I'm not sure anyone has answers to this question, but it's worth a shot. So, what do we do? What do you think is the best way to rein in this culture of extremism and even armed violence to justify what other people think are their rights? You know, there's an old saying that facts are stubborn things. And it's difficult in today's social media environment to to separate the wheat from the chaff in regard to what's real, what's legitimate, what isn't. I think the only thing that that we can do is focus on being right, being accurate, being fast, being aggressive and taking the fight, the good fight to them in the right places. But using the democratic process that's laid out in our constitution, all of our various rights that are listed in the founding documents, 
um, are as true today as they've ever been. And so the hope is that a new tone in America being set by the White House, that we can start to turn the corner on some of this awful rhetoric and, and the actions that uh, result by it. But you know, for, for us as public land advocates, now is just a tremendous opportunity to turn that corner, um, get some really, really good wins for conservation on the board, undo all the bad stuff that the previous administration has done, um, and look for a new day in conservation policy in America. Barrett Kaiser, political consultant for Hilltop Public Solutions. He made his remarks at the Bundy press conference while representing our friends at the Center for Western Priorities, which closely tracks issues affecting public lands, energy, wildlife, and conservation in Montana and across the West. Barrett, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Murph. Thanks for doing this. views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of MCV, its staff, or its board of directors. We have a link to a column Barrett wrote about his experience in Oregon. You can find it in our show notes. The video of him commandeering that 2016 press conference, by the way, racked up nearly a million views in 24 hours. Montana's new governor continues to make national headlines for his run-ins with the law. In 2017, Greg Gianforte assaulted a reporter for asking questions about health care. This month, we learned he got a warning from the Montana Department of Fish, Wildlife, and Parks after he trapped and killed a wolf north of Yellowstone National Park. Gianforte had a permit to trap the wolf, but he failed to take a required trapping certification class. After the warning, Gianforte took that class on March 24th with about 200 other people. The next day in Helena, he was on the defense, calling his failure a misstep. I've been hunt- I've been trapping. Uh, for nearly 50 years. I started when I was just a tot. And uh, again, I think it's a, it's a integral part of our heritage and an important tool in predator control uh, and wildlife management. Uh, so the class, I, was, I made a mistake. I'm glad I was able to check the box last night. Uh, it was a good refresher for me, but in hindsight, I wouldn't have done anything differently. Gianforte says he trapped the wolf with the help of a mentor whose name he kept secret. The wolf, about six or seven years old, wore a radio collar. Gianforte shot the animal on a Paradise Valley ranch owned by the director of the conservative Sinclair Broadcasting Company. Montana Senator Steve Daines has co-sponsored a bill in Congress to remove grizzly bears from the endangered species list. The grizzly bear population has more than recovered in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem area. Wildlife management must be determined by science not by activist judges. Montana-led management is what's best for our communities, our public safety, our ecosystems, our wildlife, and the grizzly bear itself. It is time to delist the grizzly bear and return management to Montana. Well, that's what the so-called Grizzly Bear State Management Act of 2021 does. The two-page bill has zero support from Democrats and little chance of becoming law. It also says the decision to remove grizzlies from the endangered species list shall not be subject to judicial review in order to prevent a judge from overruling it. Critics argue grizzly bears have not recovered enough to remove their federal protection. New Mexico Senator Martin Heinrich, a former guest of MCVCast, is leading the charge on an effort to reinstate an Obama-era climate rule. The rule controls the release of climate change-causing methane from leaks and flares in oil and gas wells. The Trump administration essentially put the kibosh on the rule. 
And speaking of oil and gas development, the federal government this week released a new report. They call it the most comprehensive study of the greater sage-grouse ever done. The U.S. Geological Survey report says the greater sage-grouse population in the West has fallen 80% since 1965, and 40% of the birds' breeding grounds could disappear over the next two decades due to energy development, wildfires, and invasive species. The MCV Education Fund has launched a new campaign demanding a better deal from the oil and gas industry when it comes to our public lands. Montana's public lands are the envy of the nation, an engine that drives a $7.1 billion recreation economy, creating more than 71,000 good jobs here. Now, a new pause on oil and gas development could open up more lands for the public and give us taxpayers a better return. This is our new video announcing our A Better Deal campaign. The idea is to educate all Montanans about President Biden's review on new oil and gas leasing on federally owned public lands. The order does not affect funding for popular initiatives like the Land and Water Conservation Fund, but we think it's important to highlight the facts. About two-thirds of all publicly owned land leased to developers in Montana is currently undeveloped. Because of lack of demand, speculative companies are able to lock up our public lands for absurdly low prices. We lose our access and taxpayers are cheated out of millions. Our message? This pause on oil and gas development is an important opportunity to better understand how energy companies have been taking advantage of public landowners. Oil and gas companies have been riding the gravy train, hoping we wouldn't notice. But the gig is up, and it's time for a better deal. This episode wraps our fourth season of MCV Cast. You can find all 43 of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel. We'll be back in the next few weeks to recap the work of the Montana legislature. Original music in the middle of our show was written and performed by Bill Lombardi. Fossil fuels will continue to play a major role in America for years to come. But too often, the extraction of resources has been rushed to meet the false urgency of political timetables, rather than with careful consideration for the impacts of current or future generations. And we'll leave you today with the remarks from Interior Secretary Deb Holland. She took part in a national forum on March 25th, exploring the impacts of President Biden's oil and gas review. For Jake Brown, Whitner Chase, and Aaron Murphy, I'm MCV Executive Director Whitney Tani. Thanks for listening. Now is the time for all of us to have a frank conversation about the future of our shared resources. I'll not pretend that this moment of reflection will be easy or that we have all the right answers, but I can promise you that I'll listen to you. I'll be honest and transparent throughout this process.